Hi, folks. You all right? Good morning. How are we all doing? Okay, Father, I pray you'd speak to us as we turn to the Bible. I pray you'd reveal yourself to us. I pray you'd teach us things maybe we didn't know before. Remind us of important things. And God, you know everyone in this room, whether this is the first time they've been at anything like this before, or whether this is their umpteenth time, I believe you can speak right into our lives. We invite you to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. This book, the Bible, is a radical book. It's life-changing. Uh, it is hot. I mean, it's hot to touch. It's, it's revolutionary. Uh, it, it's, it can cause serious damage in your life. I mean, have you read some of the stuff in here? Repent for your sins. Actually, I don't like that bit. Repent for your sins. Man, they call me a sinner. <laughs> no one's called me a sinner before. Oh, man. So, okay, I got christened as a kid, but apparently that's not enough. You're going to get baptized as a believer. No, man. Nah, I'm not going to do that either. <laughs> Jesus will return and hold me to account for my sins. Come on. Be nice to people. Okay, I'm happy with that. Okay, that's fine. No. That's the sin I do. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm just not going to include it in the Bible. And actually, wait a minute. It's more convenient if I just change that bit there to say this. Let's score that bit out. And before you know it, you're not really left with the Bible. Now, you'd never dare do that. But we do it all the time. Folks, Augustine said, and I agree with him, he said, if you believe what you like in the Bible and reject what you like in the Bible, it's not the Bible you believe, but yourself. We're humans. We don't like rules. We don't like regulations. We don't like boundaries. They speak to us of lack of freedom. We don't like that stuff. We don't like the idea that there would be an authority. We don't like the idea that we are accountable. We, I mean, everything within us, within our fallenness, reacts against those concepts. And yet, that's the stuff of the Bible. Our culture says that your feelings and experience are our chief. In other words, if it feels good, just do it. That's what the culture says. That's the parameters we like living with, honestly. That's what we like. <coughs> Our culture champions sincerity. It says, is lo all that matters is that you're sincere. That's all that matters. Isn't that? That's what culture says. But the Bible says that's not all that matters. So we're left with this book that goes against the grain of us. We, we like experiences. We like feelings. We like sincerity. We like stuff on our terms. We don't like stuff on someone else's terms. That's how humans go. I know exactly how that feels. You know how that feels. And yet that goes against the grain of the Bible. There's a story of a, a ship's captain doing routine maneuvers out in the ocean. And on this particular night, it was dark. And in, out of the darkness, he starts to see lights in the distance. And he says to the signal man, send a signal to, alt to tell them to alter their course 10 degrees to the south. Within a few moments, a s signal came back saying, no, no, you alter your course 10 degrees to the north. This kind of infuriated the captain and said, okay, tell him... I am the captain, uh, I am a captain, 
alter your course 10 degrees to the south. And the reply came back within a few moments, I am a third seaman, alter your course 10 degrees to the north. The captain was enraged. His pride was dented. And he said, wait a minute here. Te- this will, this, he thought he'll say this, and this will scare the living daylights out. He said, tell them we are a destroyer, HMS, whatever, whatever. Alter your course 10 degrees to the south. And the reply came back, alter your course 10 degrees to the north. We're lighthouse. <laughs> you see, there's no arguing. Is there... Is, it, is there something that's true that goes beyond our subjectivities? Goes beyond what we would like to be true? Is there an ultimate standard? Is there something like gravity, which whether you like gravity or not, it is true. It always affects you whether you like the effect or not. It is true. Is there something like that for our souls, for our lives? Well, what we've been going through over these last few weeks is we, we claim, we believe, and for very, very good reason, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Not our Word of God, but the Word of God. 66 books, Old and New Testaments, the words of God, inspired by God, infallible, inerrant, historically accurate. Can't add to them, can't take away from them. We believe it. And it's a kind of awesome thing to believe because it, it kind of sets you up with a challenge, because it challenges me like it challenges you, and yet just because it challenges me, I'm not going to just reject it just because it challenges me. And so that's the journey. If you've missed the journey, download some of the messages. They're free. You can download them from the website. That's what we've been looking at this week. We're continuing that thought, and the question we're looking at today is this. Is the Bible the final authority? We believe it is the final authority over our lives. Let me take you on a journey. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The Word of God is Alive, say alive. And active, say active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, say penetrates. Even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrows. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's eyes. In other words, nothing escapes the view of this omniscient God. He sees everything. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him with whom we must give an account. The Bible says about itself that it is alive, it is active, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It penetrates right into our lives, goes deep, changes us. It's alive. This book is alive. Jesus said, John 6, 63, The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Jesus' words the words of God, not just Jesus' words as recorded in the Gospels, but the words of God as contained within the whole Bible are like seeds landing on parched ground that can just bring life where there was no life. So we see it in the God. We see Jesus speaking to a dying robber on a cross and life comes. We see Jesus speaking words to Lazarus in a tomb and he resurrects. We see words of life coming to a woman who's about to be stoned for adultery. Life comes. Tax collector up a tree. Life comes. The words of God bring life. And it it can be your experience, a daily experience where the words of God literally bring life into your life. And this book, it it wrestles with me. It it decks me. (laughs) It takes me out. It comforts me. It builds me up. It smiles at me. It frowns at me. It takes my breath away. It warms my heart. It weeps with me. It sings with me. This book, the Bible, 
maps my way. There's no book like it. It's an alive book. You see, you can read a novel, and you read that novel once through, and, and then you come to it again, and kind of it's lost its novelty factor. You've read it before. All right, I've seen this before. I know what's coming. But there's nothing like the Bible. You turn to it, and every time you turn to it, you might have read the verse umpteen times. You know what I'm talking about, right? How many people have experienced this? You're reading the Bible, same verse you've read umpteen times, and this time, like never before, it grips you. Ever had that before? It's nuts. This book is alive. There's no book like it. It's not like any other book. It is divinely inspired. And it causes people to come alive. Martin Luther said this, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. And this book, the Bible, causes people who are dead spiritually to come alive spiritually. It says in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. What does that mean? Born again, it means you, it's like you've been born, except, again, you just come alive like you did it the first time, but this time you've become alive spiritually. You've come alive to an awareness of God. Now, you know if you're born again, or if you're a Christian, if you've become a believer, if you've got a connection with God, you know if that happened at some point on that journey, at some point, somewhere, in some way, someone spoke something to you, a word, yeah? You heard something, whether it be through a preacher, or Billy Graham, or maybe it was in this church where you heard myself or one of the other preachers sharing the Bible, you heard something, or maybe you read something, or maybe you saw something, but somewhere down the line, words from God came into your life like a seed, and boom, life came. You were born again. And today, maybe currently you're dead. Maybe you're spiritually dead to God. You are not connected with God. You know you're not connected with God. I don't care how religious you've been. You know you're not connected with God. Today, God's words can cause you to come alive. Why do you want to live dead anymore? Why not live alive to God? Not just now, but for eternity. Why do you want to live another life without day without God in your life? God's word, it says, is alive. It also says it's alive and it's active. Isaiah 55 verse 11 says, God says, my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. John Wesley, the uh, famous preacher from the 18th century, he tells a story of one evening he was returning from preaching at some church or another, returning back home, and as he was on his way home, he was robbed. And the robber took everything from John. John Wesley didn't have much. He had a little bit of money and some Christian literature. So the robber thought, okay, that's it. And as the robber was leaving, John Wesley says, wait, I want to give you one more thing. And the robber kind of looked at him strangely and he said this, if at one point you realize the route you are going down is going to bring ruin in your life, And if at one point you decide this is no longer the life you want to live, let me give you this. And he quotes the Bible and he says, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And he just shared that word, sowed a little seed. Anyway, a number of years later, John Wesley was preaching in another place. And at the end of the service, this guy comes up to him and discloses himself to be none other than that thief. Now, a Christian follower of Jesus and a businessman. It's amazing. Folks, 
the Word of God is active. And you know what? It sometimes can remain dormant, like, you know, seeds that have been found lying around for decades, and then they put them in the grounds. Apparently, seeds can last up to over 100 years. You can take 100-year-old seeds and put them in the grounds, and the life is there, and they can germinate. A word sown, the Word of God sown into your life can bring great changes, do great things. God just sowed a word in my heart, and then boom, out popped a church. God just sowed a word in your heart, and boom, out popped a destiny, a purpose. And he does it all the time with relationships and with miracles and with uh, families and with communities, even with countries. Words from God change things. The word of God is alive and active. But then it goes on and it says, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, it penetrates, even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and att- attitudes of the heart. <clears throat> uh, there was this missionary speaking at church, and the missionary had just come back from some communist country. And the mission, she describes how at the border of this communist country, they asked the people coming into the country, including herself, do you have any drugs, weapons, or Bibles? <laughs> This is one dangerous book. It's like a sword. They they classify it along with drugs and weapons. Drugs, weapons, and Bible. Because they know that drugs and weapons and Bibles have the power to overthrow a whole government and regime. (laughs) The Bible is like a sword. It is so dangerous. I know some of you have been into drugs and weapons. I suggest. Now go for the Bible. Okay? Forget the drugs and the weapons. That's That's all you get from today. Some of you need to remember that. We're in Leith. Forget the drugs and weapons, go with the Bible, okay? That's the one that's going to help you. Yeah? High five? So that's a good point. Thank you. So it's a dangerous book. This book has the power to create revolutions, to change things and turn things around. It penetrates people's souls. Acts 23, 37, as the apostle Peter was preaching the word of God, it says that when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. You've you've had that, right? When you're reading the Bible or hearing the Bible preached or hearing it read or something like that and boom, wow. Sometimes at the end of services, you get people come up to you and say, did my wife tell you that I was here? (laughs) Right? Or, Or something like that. Because the word, and she didn't, right? Mate, she didn't. You're just a dweeb and you know it and God is speaking to you. It's not like you get forewarned. It's just that God's words has this alive and active power that it can speak right into your life and situation. It's like a double-edged sword. Um, and you know what? Some people get stuck in a rut of thinking. I get it as well. You get stuck in a way of thinking. Maybe it's a bitterness towards someone. Maybe it's a long-term anxiety about a situation. And the Bible has this way of cutting right through it all to dividing of soul and spirit and joints and marrow right into the innermost being of a person and even long-term thought patterns which have held you captive for years in a split second are changed. Anyone ever had that? I mean, that's how revolutionary this book is. No psychologist could do that. A word from God does that. You can be full of pride or deceived in some area or... You know, and just God's words brings change and healing. 
If God's word has the power to save you eternally, you hear the word, you believe it, and it saves you eternally. Do you not reckon that same book has got a lot more power in there for this life as well? Do you not reckon the same book is so loaded with power that it could totally turn around your situation, your marriage, your hopes, your challenges, deal with your temptations, cut off the addictions? I'm telling you, just dig a bit deeper, folks. Expose your soul to every day. Come on, sword. Come on. Do your work. Change me. Invite God to speak. And that's what happens. I remember distinct moments in my life where God transformed my I remember he changed my attitude towards poor people. I remember he totally changed my attitude towards my wife shortly after we were married. I didn't have an attitude. Then we got married. And then all this, all this stuff. Like, what? And I realized that I had issues. And God spoke to me and helped me to be a better husband. I'm not a perfect husband by far. Um, in the 1990s, uh, an author, Ronald Sforz, asked a whole load of other contemporary writers of his day, and, and the, he asked them, what books and novels inspire you most? And many of them came back with different things like Dickens or uh, Tolstoy or people like that. Uh, but all of them, in fact, the majority answer was, not all of them, but the majority was the Bible. And one guy, the late journalist Mal- Malcolm Muggeridge, said this. He said, when asked, why was the Bible the, his number one book that he would always go back to and read? He answered this. It's not a book you read. He said, the book reads me. And that's true. It's not just the book you read. The book reads you. It analyzes you in some way that no other book does. So it's God's final authority. And I want want to just say four things about it being God's final authority. I want to speak to you about the power of being under this authority of the Bible. The promises that come from being under the authority of the Bible. The principles you can live by, by being under the authority of the Bible and the pain that you will experience because you're under the authority of the Bible. So that's what we want to talk about. And folks, this is hardcore stuff. I get it. We're not a water-it-down church to make it easy for everyone. I understand this is hard. It's hard for me. I'm not sharing things to be popular. We're not trying to be a popular church that just makes things easy and palatable for people. That would not be doing justice to God's book. God's book is a radical book. But to be honest, I want to do you guys a favor and me a favor. Why would I want to water down something that's already great? Why would I want to give you some, I wouldn't be doing you any favors. You're going to be blessed as a human being before your creator God by hearing the undiluted, incredible word of God and exposing your soul to it on a daily basis. You'll be transformed. So why would we want to give you anything less? I love you too much. So number one, the power of being under authority of God's word. Uh, Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, he said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? The word Lord in the Greek language is kuros. It means supreme in authority, master. Jesus is saying to people, why do you use the words? Why do you use words? Say, Lord, Lord. But it's just words. If it's really your Lord, you would do what I say. And that's true. If he's really your Lord, you can do what he says. Or at least you'll try. Or at least you'll really face it and ask him for help to do what he says. Don Carson said this, we have hungered to be masters of the word much more than we've hungered to be mastered by it. 
In other words, we want to place ourselves over this book rather than placing this book over us. And I believe when it comes to God, God is the authority and God's word is the authority. Is he Lord in your life or are you Lord in your life? Are you the boss or is God the boss? What will the result be of coming under God's authority? James chapter 4 verse 7 says, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You have authority when you are under authority. If you're not under authority, you have no authority. You can resist the devil and he will flee, but you first must submit to God's authority. When you submit to God's authority, then darkness must flee. Darkness cannot have a hold on you. It might try and scare you and intimidate you. But when you're under the authority of God himself, nothing can touch your soul. Authority over darkness. Satan tempted Adam and Eve way back in the beginning of Genesis. And his first temptation was this. Did God really say? You see, God had spoken and that word brought life. But Satan, at the very beginning, from the outset, tried to undermine the word of God and question, did God really say? Same with Jesus. When Jesus was on the earth, he went through that 40-day temptation in the wilderness. Satan came and, and he kept quoting Bible verses at Jesus. And Jesus refuted the temptation. Adam didn't. Adam just went with it. Adam should have quoted back what God said to Satan, but Adam didn't. Jesus, however, did. Jesus, in facing the temptation came back at Satan with the word of God. And we've said a moment ago that the word of God is like a sword in our own lives. It comes and it goes real deep. It penetrates and challenges us, right? But did you know that sword also becomes a sword in your hands? In Ephesians 6, it describes how we overcome Satan. And it says we overcome in one of the ways, Ephesians six seventeen, is with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You've got this book that becomes a sword to you. So when temptation comes your way, you block and you attack back. Why? Because you've got truth in your soul to counteract every lie that comes your way. Truth is, folks, you trace back far enough when your problems started arising. You look at a problem in your life, I guarantee you this. Follow back the process. You will find at one point in that journey, you will find a lie that you believed. That's what happens. That somewhere down the track, you believed a lie. And it came ever so subtle. It might not have even come as an overt lie. It might have just come as a half-truth. A lie you believed about your marriage. A lie you believed about your finance. A lie you believed about what would make you really happy. Somewhere down the line, you believed a lie, and it morphed. And in fact, it might be so fuzzy these days, you can't even remember the thing you first believed that got you in the situation you were in. But I promise you, it was a lie you believed. And if you'd been equipped with the Word of God, you'd have been able to counteract the lie and be free. Also, authority isn't just against the devil. Authority comes for us in life as we come under authority. It's interesting that God's word gives us authority in church. In preaching, for example, for 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. In the presence of God, Paul writes to Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in the view of his appearing and of his kingdom. I give you this charge. Paul's saying to Timothy, I'm charging you to do something. 
Timothy's the pastor of a church, and he says to Timothy, in that church, preach the words. Be prepared in season and out of season to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. I wonder why he says great patience. Right? Well, I know how long God's taken to work in me, so I figure he's at work in you, and I understand we all change at different rates, but that's why we've got to have patience. Paul's saying to Timothy, preach the words. I have no authority in this church if I am not under God's words. If I say things which are contrary to the Bible, they have no authority. You have permission to disregard them. If, however, I preach the word of God, your issue is not with me. Your issue now is with God. And to that authority, I and you must bow. And if I don't bow to what I'm preaching, then I'm a hypocrite. And sometimes, folks, quite frankly, I'm trying to bow to the things I'm preaching, but like you, I'm with you. This sword applies to my life just as much as to your life. And that's how I approach it. But that is the authority. Folks, the church does not have authority over the Bible. The church does not have authority over your life. The Bible has authority over the church. And the Bible has authority over our lives. The church only has authority and preachers only have authority to the degree to which we hold to the Bible and submit to the Bible. Two examples of this in the last, just the last couple of weeks. Um, I'm sure, sure my friend in the church wouldn't mind me saying this, but I won't go into details. But a friend in the church told me about struggles he was going through. Big struggles. Things that he thought of doing, but he knew were wrong. And he said, you know what, Peter? That's exactly why I'm in this church. Because you believe in the Bible. And you preach things that go against what my flesh would want to do. And, and that's why I come, because it, I feel safe. Because I'm coming to a church that's not agreeing with my, life, with my desires. But I'm coming to a church that is challenging my desires. Wow. Another example I heard of just in the last couple of weeks was another guy, good friend of mine, love him dearly, used to be in this church, now goes to a different church because he's decided to pursue actively a homosexual relationship. And he knows that we love homosexuals. Many of you have come from a homosexual background or currently that's your journey. The truth is, this guy is actively pursuing homosexuality and the Bible says that's a sin. And we'll just say what the Bible says. But we won't just say it about homosexuals, we'll say it about heterosexuals. In fact, there's more heterosexual sin listed in the Bible than there is ever homosexual sin listed in the Bible. So heterosexual sinners, you repent. And those folks who are struggling with homosexuality, you repent too. Why don't we just all repent? Right? But he, he left the church and went to a church that apparently doesn't believe the Bible. Sounds like a tosh church to me. <laughs> doesn't sound like a church at all, actually, really, does it? Anyway, the church of Satan. I don't know. I noticed it didn't. That's not the actual name of the church, in case you want. <laughs> Some things, anyway. Anyway, um, so I applaud you. I applaud you sinners who come to this church. I applaud you for coming to this church this week. After this week, you looked at porn and masturbated, and you're here at church. I applaud you for coming to church. I applaud you for coming to church, and you totally lost the rag with your wife this week, 
and you treated her with disdain and you know you shouldn't have, but you're here today. I applaud you for coming to church and exposing your soul to a sword. I applaud you for coming to church. You who are so full of arrogance and pride and have treated others around you with disdain. And you sing, bring on the word of God. I applaud you. I applaud you for coming to an environment where it's not the convenient environment. But you're saying, I'm not true. God's word is true. And however I feel about it, I need God's word in my life. I applaud you. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. The verses that we said, Paul said, preach the word. The verses continue. He said, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Folks, that's not doing anyone any favors. Just telling you what you want to hear in the name of God. Man, sometimes you will, we will tell you what you want to hear in the name of God. Sometimes we'll tell you what you don't want to hear in the name of God because the Bible is a sword and it is an authority over our lives. But hey, when you come under that authority, no matter how uncomfortable it is, how contrary to your or my life it is, it gives you authority in life against Satan. It gives you authority in life against addiction. It will give you authority in life. It results in long-term blessing. Yeah, I say to our church leaders and pastors in the church, do you know what? You can lead this church with the Bible. So when you're sitting down one-to-one with someone and they're talking about a problem they're going through, just always go back and say, well, what does the Bible say about that? You know, simple. Okay, so you're going through that challenge. What does the Bible say about that? It's not a glib answer. It's a really good answer. Because what the Bible says about it is what truth says about your situation. And you follow that, it's going to work. In fact, what I say to our leaders is this. When the Bible commands, you can command. So when someone's doing something, such as stealing, and the Bible says don't steal, you can say, don't steal. You can tell the people, don't steal. Just like you'd let the Word of God tell you to do the same. When the Bible's silent, then you can offer your best advice. But you can't command. But when the Bible's clear, you can be clear. And that's the way we, we lead our church. That's the way we... I had, I had a, a girl come to us, a member of our church previously, and she came, she was started dating an atheist. And she's... And I, I said, do you know what the Bible says about that? I said, what does the Bible say? And the Bible says, you've got to go with someone who's going the same way as you in life. Don't be unequally yoked. So at very least, someone who's got a mild interest in God, right? Uh, not someone who desires his very existence. And, but she's, this is what she said. God spoke to me and said, this is right for me. We have a schizophrenic God on our hands now, right? So let's go back a few weeks. We, we, we've gone on a journey where we realize that the Bible is the Word of God. If that's the case, then he's not going to say something inspired by the Spirit through the writers and authors of the Bible, writing this book, this Word of God, and then he's not going to say, oh, that's the Word of the Lord, and then he's not going to come to you and give you this little thing that, uh, yes, fine, you can just do that thing that you know is a sin. That's fine. It's all right. I didn't really mean it then. If someone comes and, this is how we judge prophecy. If someone comes and says, God's told me, I know what the Bible says, but God said this. <laughs> Whoa. No, no, no. We judge prophecy by this book. We judge our own lives by this book. We don't justify our own revelation as over and above this book. This book is final authority. I believe in prophecy. And I believe that God does speak about relationships. And I believe that God does speak about life. 
But I also know that we're so distorted that sometimes we'll make stuff up and we think it's God saying stuff. It's just our subconscious telling us stuff or your friends telling you stuff. And somewhere down the line, it's got muddled up and you thought it was God himself. God sounds slightly different to you. So God will speak. And when God speaks, here's what it sounds like. The word of God. It sounds exactly correlating with what he's already declared in his infallible and errant Bible. So that's how we, we pass the church. Give me an amen. So there's the power of being under the authority of the word. The secondly, there's the promise of being under the authority of the word. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said in John 15, 7, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. So this is describing a person who hangs out with Jesus, a person of prayer, a person who loves God, but also a person who loves the words of God and lets the words of God almost like they marinate themselves in these words of God. The words of God seep into their very being and they start to reflect the very words of God. The, the words of God are affected this person. They're living by the word of God. Jesus said, the person who remains in my words just loves it, hangs around with it. Then you can ask whatever you will and it'll be done for you. Now, how does that link with that? How does the person hangs out with the Bible then get the answered prayer. How does that correlate? Here's how it correlates. Because when you're spending time in the Word of God, then you're becoming very familiar with the will of God. And then when you're very familiar with the will of God and you pray in line with the will of God, whoa, we've got some powerful prayers in our hands. Not just that you think you know the will, but you know the will of God. And you pray those prayers in line with the will of God. Bow! Answered prayers. That's what it means. Let me give a couple of, couple of verses that, that follow up the point. 1 John five fourteen to 15. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. Here's another verse giving the opposite view. James 4, 2 and 3. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Notice the contrast. In one verse, it says, if you pray in line with the will of God, he hears us. In the other verse, it says, if you pray in line with your own desires, your will, he doesn't hear us. In one verse, it says, when you're, the, the desire is they're God-serving prayers. They're in line with the will of God, God-serving prayers. God hears and answers. But self-serving prayers, which are contrary to the will of God, God doesn't hear. So there's great promise. So you should be praying with your Bible wide open. Pray with the Bible in your thoughts, in your mind. Um, Daniel is a great example. It says in, in Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 and 3, I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given through Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turns to the Lord and pleaded in prayer with him and petition. So what happened here was Daniel was in exile. He was a Jew. He'd been taken captive. He was in exile with all his nation in Babylon. And apparently the prophet Jeremiah had prophesied about that and said that there would be 70 years that that exile would last. It would now come to the end of that 70 years. Daniel was reading the Bible. He was reading the book of Jeremiah. He saw the promise of God. So what does he do? He gets on his knees in line with the Bible and he says, God, this isn't just a nice prayer. This is a prayer in line with your word. And he pleaded with God 
to fulfill his word. Now, I know some people, when it comes to the promises of God, it's like, well, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. They just think, well, if it's God's will, surely it will just happen. But there's something about God using our praying to see his will become reality. And now God just chooses to work with us and through us. So Daniel aligned himself with the word of God and he prayed in line with the will of God. And the answer of God came and truly the people were released from captivity and returned to Jerusalem, as history shows. The promise of God. Thirdly, there's the principles of being under authority. You see, when it comes to the way we live life, if we're willing to bring our lives under the authority of the Word of God, God will speak to us. The Glamour magazine, uh, which I know a lot of you read, uh, in 1986, the Glamour magazine uh, surveyed 25,000 of their readers. And most of them were women ages 18 to 35 and ed. And what they, what they found in this survey of the 25,000 people was that a lot of them had become very spiritual, that it was quite popular to be spiritual. And so they were talking about their religion, and the, 77% of them said that they prayed. 87% of them said that they often felt God with them or helping them through hard times in life. Uh, and it's interesting also that these readers seemed to kind of pick and choose the bits of their religions that they liked. For example, um, they, they, they didn't disregard their faith, but they disregarded some aspects of their faith that they didn't like. So of the 25,000 Poles, 50% of them disagreed with what their religion said about premarital sex. So they, they said they were spiritual and they said they had this particular faith or another, but they disagreed with what that religion said about premarital sex. Or... 42% of them disagreed with what their religion or what their Bible or books said about abortion or pro-life issues. So isn't it interesting? And that's, to be honest, I use that probably because it's indicative of many of our journeys and what we're living in in our city just now. People like spirituality, but the idea that there would be an ultimate word from God about things that we don't want God to speak about or give his verdict on, we want to make, place our own verdict in those things. Thank you very much. But it's like the guy standing on the two canoes. And he's saying, no, no, I'm going to stand in both canoes. I'm not, I'm not going to stand in one. I'm just gonna, I will stand in both. I will have my way of doing things. And at the same time, I'll have my faith in God here. I'll, I'll build it on my opinions, but I'll also base it in the Bible. And they're, they're trying to live this life where they're on two canoes, but one of the canoes has got a leak. It's their canoe. One of the canoes has got a leak. And they're thinking they can, oh no, I, I, can, I can have both. But because one's got a leak, by default, it won't be long before you end up in the water. By default. So you've got to pick your lane. You, whether it's comfortable or not, you've got to come under the word of God. Now, why would God want you to obey his word? Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 13. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. Why does God give us commands? Rar, 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 rar. 
Read the bit at the bottom, okay? Why does God give you commands? For your own goods. Ephesians 6, 2 and 3. Honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on earth. God's not a killjoy. God's just wise. He created you. And you do things in line with the manufacturer's handbook. That thing does well. That life does well. Find out the word of God, what God has to say in his word about your life, your circumstance. Line yourself up with it and see the benefits and blessings that come as a result. But also God will give you authorities when it comes to your decisions. Um, there's a story in, in 1940s in California of an of a army uh, cadet it was, it was flying school and He'd gone up in this single uh, solo plane, so it's just him in it, and they'd, they'd, he'd taken off and he was flying up above the airfield, and he got to about a thousand meters, and he was hit suddenly with, a, 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 with blindness for some medical reason. He was, he was suddenly hit with blindness when he's up there, and he panicked, absolute panicked. So he shouted down the intercom, I'm blind, I'm blind, I can't see where I'm going. And the colonel who was in the control tower, calmed him down and said, now listen, I want you to follow my instructions implicitly. And so he had him circle around for about 10 minutes while they cleared the, air, air, the, the runway and they got some fire trucks on the hands and ambulances. And after 10 minutes, he said, now listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to drop your altitudes. I want you to bank left, now bank right. Now lower your altitude a bit more. Okay, now you're coming to the runway. And he talked him through a perfect landing. Saved his life. How? He followed the word. You can't see as well as you think you can see, folks. We are spiritually blinded by our own conceit and by our own sin. God's word, the Bible, will direct you in a safe way like the advice of others maybe wouldn't. But what about the issues in life where the Bible's not clear? So, so the Bible gives you certain parameters of who you should marry, but it doesn't tell you her name or his name. So, Lord, so you're looking for, okay, Mary, Jesus, no. Okay. And so it, it's not really helping you pick the name, right? So is it hers? Right, so how do you, how do you work that one out? Or, okay, where do I live? So the Bible gives you some parameters about how you choose where you live. It's great advice on that. But should there's two great options, there or there. Should I take this job or that job? Should I marry this person or that person? Within the parameters that God has set, how do you choose those things? Well, this is where the principles of God's word kick into gear. Because the Bible gives us also principles. For example, Proverbs 15:22: Plans fail for lack of counsel, but many, with many advisors, they succeed. In other words, you're not just left at the mercy of your own subjectivity and your own thought processes. Other good people around you will keep you right. You know, God's placing your life parents. And if they're good parents, they'll give you great advice when it comes to your relationships. God's place around you true friends. Now, here's the little caveat. You also know that you can ask certain people and you will get the answers that you want to hear as well, right? See, what we're talking about here is true friends, people who will say things that are true, whether, and they're carrying, they're living by good values. Whether it's popular or not, they'll tell you the truth. 
Another caveat the Bible says in Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do so with joy. And um, sorry, let, let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. The Bible teaches that he's placed in our lives church leaders, elders, deacons, pastors, leaders in the church who have responsibility. And notice what it says about them as those who will give an account. Your buddy is not going to give an account for the advice that he gives you about who you're going to marry or where you're going to live. An elder, however, or a church leader will have to give an account before God. Everyone gives an account for their life, but elders give a double account. They give an account for their life and also for the lives of those that they've been entrusted to by God to care for. And therefore, the weight with which you hold an elder's advice in a church should carry more weight than your buddy. So here's the thing. You, you're, you should, our desire as a church is to empower you so you can make quality decisions yourself. But see, when it comes to the big decisions, the huge decisions, marriage, where are you going to live, those kind of things, it's really wise to ask one of the church leaders just as a sounding board. We're not interested in the slightest in controlling your life. We want to empower you to live a great life. But we will, however, love you enough to speak the truth to you in a way that hopefully will bring blessing in your life. And we are accountable before God to do that. And then finally, the pain of being under authority. As I said earlier, every time I make a mistake in life or I end up in a bad place, I just follow it back far enough. And there was a point at which I believed a lie or I refused to follow God's word. Same in your life. But following God's word for you and for me might mean personal cost. Following God's word might mean that you have to live a life that goes against, at times, your emotions. That doing the right thing by God's word goes against what you would emotionally want to do. Sometimes doing the right thing by God's word will go against your sex drive. Your sex drive wants to do a certain thing. Now, is God, has God given you your sex drive? Yes, God gave you that sex drive. But has sin in our nature distorted that along with every other good thing that God gave us? Yes, it has. So doing God's thing at times will be going against your sex drive. Doing God's thing will mean that there are times where you will not take revenge, where everything within you wanted to take revenge. And God's way will lead you to a place of forgiveness and letting go. Doing God's thing will be painful because it will sometimes mean this, that you don't quit. Following God's word will mean that this time you didn't quit, even though everything within you is shouting to quit, and previous times you would have quit, but this time you didn't quit because God's word said to persevere. Doing God's things might be following God's way, living by the Bible, might result in you being slagged, misunderstood, and called narrow-minded. Doing God's thing might be, following God's word might mean that you face, as a result of your desire to follow God's word, it might mean that you face years of battling against sin in a particular area. 
whereas in the past you'd have just gone with it. Now, I'm not going to go with it because God's word says I shouldn't. And because you've chosen to do God's thing, you are facing years of battle. Some months, but for some of you, it's years of battling. Folks, it's the dead fish that go with the flow. And you've chosen to say no to sin and yes to God's words. That very choice has resulted in you facing years of battle. But battle on, folks. Battle on. Because this truth will help you. Some of you, following God's word means that those desires to pursue homosexual lifestyle, you say, that's not what God's word says. So I have these desires. I have these urges. I have these inclinations. But God's word says different. I'm going to follow God. For others, it means... Do you know what? I would love to go out with my mates and have a drink. I'd love just to let my hair down and just chill out like everyone else does and just go and have a drink. But I know that following God's word for me means I can't do that. I know I can't just have a drink. I know where that takes me. So it means I will be in the house miserable, not having fun with my friends because I'm following God's word. Following God's word might be this that you're a person in an unexciting marriage for the long term. It might be that because you've chosen to follow God's word, you stay in that unexciting marriage and you don't take up the opportunities for sex on the side and you don't relieve yourself by looking at porn and masturbating. But instead, you stay in that marriage and you remain faithful, not thinking primarily about what you can get out of it, but what you can put into it and honoring God whether anyone else sees or not. That's hardcore. That's hardcore. And yet that's the stuff that builds big society, builds big churches, transforms generations of people. And folks, this isn't the life we've all previously lived. But it's the life of what it will look like if we choose to do the radical thing and bring our lives under the word of God. You see, God has not called you to be true to yourself. He's called you to be true to him. And that's a whole world of difference. It might mean for some of you girls that you became a mum instead of having an abortion. That's what it might mean. That I, It meant that you couldn't continue with your studies. It meant that you lost your freedom. But you didn't have an abortion. It might be that some of you face jail sentences. We have a guy in our church, Billy. After becoming a Christian, he was led by God to hand himself into the police. And he ended up going to jail. Had a shortened sentence for his honesty, but nevertheless he spent time in Stockton because his conscience drove him because the word of God was true and he wanted to submit his life, to tr truly submit his life to God. Jesus calls submitting to the word of God, the narrow path. He said in Matthew seven thirteen, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through. Jesus calls it the narrow path. It is not the easy path. Oh, I want to be Lord. I want to be boss in my life. Well, how's that working for you? Really? How's that working for you? 
Is it giving you the satisfaction and joy you were really looking for? Or is it not resulting in a, a trail of disaster and pain? God's got an alternative. What's going to be the final authority in your life? The words or the worlds? God's words or your opinions? Public opinion, my feelings, or God's eternal holy words, which he's given you as a gift, as a handbook for life that will bring life to you, that will bring blessing to you, and will bring strength to you. Hardcore, folks. I mean, it's, it's tough. But I'm going to face it with you guys, and we do this together. And we say, okay, really, what other option do we have? Why would we want to not live God's way? So I reckon we should all pray now. Let's all pray. Let's all talk to God. And I'd, you don't need to tell me what your response is, but you need to make a response to God, and I'll make a response to God. So just take a moment before God to do that just now. Father in heaven, thank you for your words. Thank you for the truth of the Bible. Lord, it's a tough book. We would far rather not have some verses in the Bible because it, it really is contrary in so many ways to the way we often live or want to live or have lived. But God, it's quite a liberating thing to realize that I'm not ultimate truth, but you're ultimate truth. That while I can sometimes get it wrong, you never get it wrong. God, th thank you for giving us this book, the Bible. Thank you, God, for giving us this book that doesn't let us off the hook, but challenges us, pulls us down, builds us up, grapples with us, and ultimately for our goods, so that we may live long, be blessed. God, you so want us blessed. And God, I, I believe you so want these folks blessed. Would you give us all the courage to live by the word of God? Okay, take a moment to make your own response to God just now. Just pray. God's here. Talk to him just now about what, what you're going to do as a result of this message. Take a moment to do that. prayers just there thank you God I pray that you give every one of us the strength the courage and the power of your spirit to enable us to walk the narrow path under the authority the final authority of God's word just before I finish as we're praying as people continue to respond in prayer let me give you an opportunity today. If today you're not submitting your life to the authority of God, I'm not asking you whether you want to become a member of this church or not. You'd be very welcome here. But this is, this is so much bigger than whether you're in this church or not. This is about you and God for eternity. Are you connected with God? Jesus did an amazing thing. 
The Bible says that Jesus, out of a desire to obey the will of God, went to the cross. And he died on the cross, taking all of our sin, all of our regrets upon himself. And on the third day, he rose again. Jesus is alive right now, and he can be your savior. Today, if you're here and you're saying, Peter, I need God in my life, then this is your moment just now. Why not put your faith in Jesus who died for you and rose again and choose to follow his way from now on? If that's you just now, pray this prayer with me just now. Just under your breath after me. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you for sending Jesus into this world. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross to take all of my sin away. And thank you for rising again the third day. God, I want you in my life from now on. Jesus, be Lord of my life. Let your words be final authority to me. I live for you from now on. Thanks for hearing my prayer.